for those who fish, this is the Drake cast. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. Could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. Hey, Elliot. Sean, how are you? There we go. Yeah, I just, <laughs> just straight up hung up on you there. It's like, nope. You know, just to cement the power dynamic of this relationship. <laughs> exactly. You got to earn this, man. Just kidding. How are you? Back at the end of February, I got on the phone with Sean Carey. Where are you? I'm in London and doing zero fishing. <laughs> I did bring my, my tying stuff, though, so... I'm gonna do some tying. Um, yeah, we're here for like two weeks, so I'm gonna have some some free time. And you might remember Sean from the first episode of this podcast. Fishing is equal parts obsession and like spirituality, you know. Sean started touring uh, as a trio, me, Sean, and Zach doing house shows, and then most of it turned into us trying to find out places to go fishing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in camp, because all three of us are, like, super into that, camping and fishing. And so we would pack a tent and cooking gear and sleeping bags and then our merch and instruments in the van. And it sort of turned into trying to make it feel like, let's go on a road trip where we have to play shows most of the nights and try to, like, see a lot of places and not just go from one city to the next. Our last tour that we did, it was half shows, half fishing. Pretty much. Shows are fine. Fishing is great. But if you don't remember him, Sean is the lead man of the band S. Carey. He's a musician, a touring artist, a songwriter, a father, a husband, and a fly fisherman. In addition to all of that, he also plays with another band, sometimes called Bon Iver or Bon Iver. So is this the start of your European leg of the tour? Yeah, I mean, we're just in London on this trip. So we, we, we got here yesterday, and then we, we fly back home on March 6th. Tour technically started a week ago. We went down to Milwaukee and rehearsed there for a few days and then did our um, 10-year anniversary show from the very first Bon Iver record. So. That first album being For Emma, Forever Ago. That was that was great. We played at the Bradley Center. I was thinking back because I grew up down by, by by Milwaukee, so I was thinking back to how I saw Michael Jordan play in that arena and Reggie Miller and Shaq, and uh, I saw you two there when I was in high school. And so yeah, it was it was a special show. Hometown kid done good, right? <laughs> yeah, home state kid, yeah. When does S. Carey's tour kick off? It kicks off in Eau Claire on March 15th, and then we, we head out um, for a three-week run on the East Coast and Midwest right after that. So a lot of touring this spring. But unfortunately, this tour isn't like the fly fishing slash house show tour that we talked about in the first episode of the podcast. Though Sean is on tour, the reason he's back on the air is because he just came out with a new album. 
So today we'll talk about where Sean has been fishing, listen to his new album, and discuss what went into it. And then in the second half of this episode, we're going to check in with a fly fishing guide who works down in one of the areas of Texas that was pretty devastated by Hurricane Harvey. We'll see how both the town and the fishery are doing. And finally, the episode ends with one of my favorite tracks from Sean's new album. So stick around. Cool. Mind if we jump into these questions I sent you? Let's do it. So uh, it's winter. You're from Wisconsin. Uh, The trout season's open year-round, but where have you been fishing lately, like in the last eight months to a year? Eight months, okay. Um, Mostly at home. I got out in January on a warm day. We had some really good fishing, actually, but it's been really cold winter for us, so a lot of ice. The trout fishing's been tough, so I haven't been out a lot. Just like when I got the chance to go out fishing with Sean last January. We were on Elk Creek, just temperatures probably 19 degrees, about 12 inches of snow maybe. Pretty cold. <laughs> no fish yet. Oh, damn. That was a nice strike. Yeah, we could do another 15, 20, or we could just go drink a <laughs> get beer. Warm with beer. Well, Actually, you... let's go get a beer. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> And then before that, in the fall, I was kind of uh, fishing a lot for muskie when I was home. Also got to go out in uh, North Carolina when we were on tour and fish for some smallmouth, uh, which was was a blast. We caught a few. And then um, last summer, kind of a mix of trout and uh, muskie fishing back home. So I got out uh, quite a bit. So this musky thing is new for you. I know in the magazine two summers ago, a story ran where you were, you had a huge musky in the photo. Yeah, two yeah two summers ago. How did this interest develop? Yeah, so I I'd never done it, never even really thought about it uh, much. And then uh, two summers ago, my buddy Weston Thier started guiding up up north on the Flambeau and Chippewa Rivers, uh, north of Eau Claire. And he uh, invited me up, so I went up twice that summer and caught 40-inch fish both times, Um, which at the time I didn't fully realize how special that or and or lucky that was i learned my lesson this past summer but uh meaning that sean blanked for a trip or two or three or or four we've all been there can you explain what just went on okay what you were doing what we were doing so basically here's what just happened in classic musky fishing uh uh, scenario we uh stopped the boat in some really fishy looking water kind of a nice little there's an ice shelf here sticking out but the water's real slow it's deep and i dropped the anchor and uh you were throwing throwing in there while i took a pee which is kind of classic so i'm facing the completely other direction taking a leak and uh i hear this explosion and um you end up getting this this fish to eat and i look and it's just launching through the air it's a nice musky um, but my favorite part was that your arm just came straight back up exactly the way that you'd set the hook if that was a trout eating it. And then you, 
I'm not gonna say that you kind of screamed a little bit like a little girl, but there was a tiny bit, ah, that went on when it happened. Um, but needless to say, there was the, there was a muskie, and now it's out there licking its wounds because it didn't uh, end up getting hooked. But that's classic. I don't know. I got I got lucky, and so that really kind of kicked down the addiction. And then um, that winter, you know, got it got a ten weight and got all set up, and and then started really doing it more on my own last summer, which was mostly. Mostly just wade fishing um, around Eau Claire. Eau Claire being Eau Claire, Wisconsin, the town where I grew up and where Sean currently lives with his family. Kind of discovering the spots around there and uh, finding finding my own little little places, and that was that was so fun. Um, I hooked into a few muskies, nothing that huge, but I just yeah, I I have the bug for sure, <laughs> and uh, that's sort of definitely um, overtook trout fishing at least in the summer and fall for me but it was it was awesome and it's so cool because Eau Claire has a ton of ton of water uh, that's close even just right in town so it's been really exciting sort of figuring out that and uh, and we're kind of in we're in like musky mecca I guess in northern Wisconsin <laughs> so it's it makes a lot of sense it would be a shame not to try to catch them, right? Seriously, yeah. What does your summer look like? Like your next kind of four months going out, you've got this little tour with Bon Iver and then you're um, you're on the road with S. Carey and then the summer festival circuit starts. How busy are you this year? Pretty dang busy, yeah. It looks like for fishing, that's, that's first, right? Um, April and May uh, look pretty good, actually, which is good because that's some of the best trout fishing, I think, um, in our neck of the woods. But I have some time in August, a little bit in the fall. So it's, yeah, it's it's busy. But, you know, when I'm home, I'll, I'll find a way to, to get out. So I'm not too worried. So let's jump into some questions about the album that's coming out or depending on when this is released, just came out. <laughs> nice. The album is already out. It just took a while to get this story posted. So this is your third full length. You've also put out a couple of EPs. I think this is your best work to date. How do you look at this album in terms of your growth as a musician and a songwriter? Yeah, I mean, I have the same feeling. <laughs> like this, this feels this feels the best to me. It feels like I kind of I finally have found my my voice in a certain way as a singer and also just as a songwriter. So I feel really good about it. It feels really settled. It feels very calm. And I think the sound of it is, is much, much improved. And it has a sense of home to it that, that, uh, that I really like. And um, one thing I noticed about this album is that it seems to be a bit more organic like the sounds, less electronic stuff going on. To get a sense of the question I'm asking, here's a track from Sean's latest album.
did you consciously go back to this more like rounded organic sound and if so why yeah you know the first couple songs that came out of me were really kind of folky you know strummy guitar songs and i really liked i liked what was going on there i liked the simplicity of it so i sort of set out to make a whole record like that and it wasn't that i was against electronics and i still love that stuff and there's still there are some electronic things going on in the songs um but they are sort of you know more in the back seat but i think i just wanted to keep the musical palette um really contained I wanted to keep it just like guitars, piano, some synths, some drums, and strings, and vocals as a challenge, I guess, to just keep it really simple, keep the songs shorter. Great. Does this album have a unifying theme? And if so, what would that theme be? Uh, it has a few of them. I wrote a lot about who I am, who I want to be, and, and kind of um, how I've got here. And that kind of has to do with, like, my marriage and with my kids and my family. In the back of your car, we didn't get far but I knew right then and there as I was laying across your So a lot of the content is about relationships with my dad as well and did i misinterpret a line in the final song of every time i see the waste or the west a hole fills up inside my chest i like the waste part um it's it's definitely west <laughs> every Yeah, I mean, this, this song is really about my dad, and my dad, um, my dad uh, lives in Arizona and has lived there um, my whole childhood. So growing up in Wisconsin, you know, we'd only get to see him a couple times a year, and, but we'd, we'd go out there every summer for a month and uh, go fishing and backpacking, and he's really who got me into a lot of that stuff. So yeah, I wrote this after um, going to visit him but I think, you know, growing up in the Midwest, you, you definitely romanticize the West and the mountains, and, uh, and I still do. So that, that's sort of where that comes from. You know, I think, I think we're, we're in 2018, and we're kind of in a weird time, and I really wanted to sort of, I guess, preach this philosophy of, like, trying to live simply and how and how I think, you know, that sort of lifestyle can really benefit everyone. So that's a little message to the listener, but um, kind of 
trying to get rid of shit in your life that's that's no good get rid of the the white noise and just kind of uh focus on on the people that you love and the people that you surround yourself with and um that's what i'm trying to do yeah i noticed that especially in the song 100 acres uh which seems to like long for this pastoral existence you live in like a decent sized town and spend a lot of days of the year on the road is this song a romanticized view of how you like life to be or is this a goal that you're working towards yeah it is it is a goal i mean the 100 acres part is you know more figurative than than actually anything but like it's something that i want to keep as a reminder of yeah of how to live oh we it doesn't mean like I'm gonna go off and live in a, a tent somewhere, but uh, I'm trying to sort of, you know, relay that feeling of like, for example, like when you go out, like you, you're from Eau Claire, there's tons of public land. I mean, you can really get out there and just be alone. Yeah, just kind of using that space as your church, I guess, renewing your spiritual self by by being out there in the land, in the forest. And I think like, I, I just, I, that's a constant source of inspiration for me. So a thing that I want to live by. On your previous albums, there were pretty overt songs about just singing about the beauty of the land and not necessarily connecting it back to the individual as much as I think in this album. It's it's very personal. It's very relationship-based, as you mentioned. And what made you move away from just singing about the beauty of the world and connecting it to you know, on a more personal level? I'm kind of rambling here, but <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. I think, yeah, to me, like, the songs are a lot more confident, and I think that confidence comes from just my own personal confidence. So I think I wasn't hiding behind anything. And I think like where I'm at as a person, as a father, as a husband, as a musician, it just all, all feels a little more mature. And so maybe I'm just more open to sort of showing some more of myself um, than I previously was. The more you know, the less you see, the more it's coming back to me, the more I see you, is the line repeated at the end of the song, more I see. What's the significance of this line? The more you know, the less you see, the more it's coming back to me, the more I see you. More well, I'm still trying to figure that out, actually, but I think one, you could look at it as like, kind of the child's mind or child's eye of like when you don't know a lot you sort of have this sort of open to a lot more things and you know like kind of living 
vicariously through my kids uh, again, you can kind of get back into that like child's mind where you're just kind of like, yeah, you're open to seeing the world in a, in a fresh light. Final question is, when can we expect another living room tour centered around fly fishing? Uh, 2019, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's sort of my plan. So unfortunately, we have to go, we have to make it through this year and play real venues, which is fun. But uh, yeah, it'll be fun to, to hit the road and do some more um, living room shows because the shows are fun, but more importantly, so we can go fishing. I like the attitude, man. Well, best of luck out there. Uh, I hope you're enjoying London, and hopefully when we're both in the Midwest at the same time, we can get out fishing. We need to, for sure. Excellent. All right, later, man. All right, take it easy, Sean. Bye. If you'd like to catch Sean and the entire four-piece ensemble that is S. Carey, they still have a few more Midwestern shows this spring. And then they're hitting the road again in July, this time for a West Coast tour. Check out their website, askcarry.org, for more information. Alternatively, if you have Spotify or Apple Music, type in askcarry there. S period space C-A-R-E-Y. Give them a listen. Okay, this seems like a logical breakpoint for ads. But when we get back, we'll hear how Rockport, Texas and the pesky redfish that call it home are doing after Hurricane Harvey. And then we'll end with my favorite song from S. Carey's new album. So stick around. This episode of the Drake Cast is brought to you by Scott Flyrods. I called up Trent Tatum, owner of the North Platte Lodge and the Reef Fly Shop in Alcova, Wyoming. He told me why he uses Scott Flyrods. Scott Flyrods build rods to fish. Their highest priority isn't necessarily going to be a parking lot casting rod, but they build each rod with a specific task in mind. You know, a nine foot five weight radian is going to be a kind of a specially light tippet dry fly rod. I think that's what kind of sets them apart. You can find out more information at your local fly shop or scottflyrod.com. This episode is also brought to you by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. This is Bessie Buholtz with Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. This week's featured destination is Patagonia. Think of the U.S. West 75 years ago and you have a pretty good idea of what to expect from the Patagonia of today. The culture, the amazing food, world-class wines, stunning landscapes, and huge trout make this an incredible destination for both anglers and non-anglers alike. Give us a call here at Yellow Dog or visit us online at yellowdogflyfishing.com. And remember that while there's a lot of ways to get there, there's only one way to do it right. Alrighty, on to the show. About a month back, I received an email from a listener suggesting that I look into how the red fishing hotspot of Rockport, Texas is doing following Hurricane Harvey. Great idea, Gary. This is Jeff. Hey, Jeff, this is Elliot calling you back. Hey, what's up? So I decided to call up a guide down there. Captain Jeff Johnson, and I am the owner of Flyfish Rockport, 
We are based here in Rockport, Texas, and myself and my captain fish the waters from Matagorda Bay down to Baffin Bay in the upper Laguna Madre. Can you tell me just what Rockport has been going through in the last eight months? Um, obviously, late August uh, this past year, we had a little bit of a hurricane blow through. Where were you when the hurricane made landfall? Sure. I actually happened to be um, in the interior of Alaska. I had been asked to go up and shoot uh, a film fly fishing for Northern Pike. So I had been up in Alaska. I left about seven days before the storm made landfall. Uh, when I left, it was nothing more than a blip on the radar saying we may have a chance of rain that weekend. So I, I had some clients, uh, some guests that were coming to fish, as well as my guides that, you know, we had the potential for the upcoming week uh, to, to see maybe a, a little rain shower. You know, it was going to be up to the guides' discretion to, to cancel or follow through with the trips. And I vanished off the grid for, for a while. And I uh, was doing my thing in Alaska with no connectivity. And when I flew out, um, I was headed back into Anchorage on my bush plane. And we found out um, as soon as I landed and turned my cell phone on, uh, I had thousands of text messages, emails, uh, voicemail was full. And one of the first text messages I opened was from a very good client of mine who lives in Houston, Texas. And it was a radar, uh, a screenshot of the radar, uh, dead centered on Rockport, Texas. And uh, that's, that's how I found out we had a hurricane. Um, it was a, a pretty rough moment, <laughs> to, be, to be quite honest. I, I, I don't even remember, honestly. I, I might have just crumpled to the ground at that point. Um, While Jeff was trying to piece things together from the airstrip in Alaska, Rockport residents were returning to what had been their homes. Rockport, Texas took the brunt of Harvey when it roared ashore Friday night. David Begno is there now. David? If you look behind me, it's as if someone took their hand and swatted across the entire town of 10,000 people doing some kind of damage almost everywhere. It's 10 years of my life gone. My house is gone. It's in half. There's nothing. All my kids' stuff is gone. Everything's gone. I want this town to be back like it was. I grew up here. Uh, from then on, it was a blur. I was, I was to fly out of uh, Anchorage about eight hours later that evening, uh, actually headed to Montana. And uh, it was just a blur of phone calls and text messages trying to track down uh, my friends in Rockport, my other captains in Rockport, um, the coffee shop owners that I you know, love dearly and, and my adopted family down here. Just trying to figure out if everybody's okay, where is everybody? And so I was frantically trying to figure all that out, follow that up with, you know, how are my personal belongings? How are my boats? Not that that was as important, but certainly it passes through your head and, and uh, just trying to get a grasp on, on what had happened because I knew absolutely nothing. And all I knew is there was a hurricane and it was bad. And From there, you could imagine the headlines you're seeing. It was pretty much doom and gloom. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting few hours there, waiting for my next flight out of 
out of Anchorage, Alaska. And so when did you eventually get back down there? I actually spend some time in Montana in the summer, still outfitting as well when it's really, really hot. Uh, I, I tend to run up north for a little while and, and play in the freshwater. And I was headed back to Montana, but it was trying to make way down here. After talking with a bunch of friends, I even uh, received a phone call from there, Rockport, uh, just kind of encouraging me to, to maybe give it a minute and wait as, you know, the town had no power, no running water, things like that. And they were inundated with, you know, people trying to help and volunteer and do the right thing. And it was still so soon after that, I mean, there really wasn't a lot of structure in town. So I opted to hold off a little while. Um, so we shut the business down all of September and, and canceled everything. And uh, fishing kind of was an ancillary thing. It just wasn't as important. And as things progressed, uh, I ended up not coming down until the 1st of October. And so you land in early October, back down in Rockport. And what what did you see then? When I got here, uh, again, at this point, it had been, you know, definitely a, a good 30 days later. And it was still uh, interesting. It was a mess. And certainly it was being cleaned up. And there were people working, you know, some around the clock. Uh, working to get power lines back up and make sure this community and that community had, you know, phones and and power and internet and there was debris everywhere. Uh, you were cleaning out your homes, your lots, and just piling debris on the side of the road, and then that was picked up and hauled to another location where there was debris three stories high and and maybe a mile long, and it still remains today. Uh, out there. Not as bad. They're, they're of course, constantly working and cleaning and going through it. But there was uh, debris everywhere and just inundated with workers and volunteers and um, people from all over the country and and maybe even further uh, helping out. And interesting way to come back to your home in Rockport, Texas, that's for sure. And so how's the recovery process coming along right now? It's it's going really well, and every little area is a little different. Um, Rockport and Port A being the hardest hit by the storm, and, and certainly there were some other little communities along the coastline here uh, affected. Um, but the recovery process is, is going well. Uh, again, there's lots of rebuilding, lots of cleanup, lots of uh, community, you know, helping this along up and down the coast. Certainly Rockport isn't 100% yet, but... We're working that way. We have uh, a lot of our lodging and um, places like that that are not operational yet. And that certainly is tough on the area as it is a, a real destination beach town, you know, a resorty kind of town. And aside from, you know, fishing type things, I mean, it's a very family oriented beach community and uh, there just isn't that much lodging around. But uh, other than that, things are coming along well. There's plenty of restaurants. There's plenty of, you know, everything else you'd expect. Our grocery store is just like any other in the world, and and, uh, all that's going well. Um, But when you're driving around town, you just might see, you know, this road doesn't have stoplights, and and we're missing a bunch of street signs still, and and just some of those things that, uh, you know, are, are a little different a post office that still isn't functional yet uh, here in Rockport, even this many months later. You know, just things like that that, that make day-to-day living, you know, just a little different than normal. 
we seem to have covered how the town's doing. Um, how's the fishing? Very good. Um, after the storm, uh, again, we shut down. The water was incredibly high, uh, two to three feet higher than we would normally see. We're still getting storms. So the Gulf of Mexico was absolutely full of water, which, of course, gave our bays uh, nowhere to, to drain. Um, but it fished uh, surprisingly well after the storm through October and on. As the water receded, it got better and better. And, and uh, we saw no effects of the storm, but uh, our seagrass remained. It didn't get ripped out, which is great. Uh, everything really uh, withstood the storm well and continued to fish uh, after the storm and continues to fish well today. Great. And so what would you say to somebody who's planning a red fishing trip this spring anywhere and they maybe look at Rockport and say like, oh, they got nailed by a hurricane not too long ago. I don't know if I want to book a trip there. And, you know, that's something obviously we've been dealing with since the storm. And all you can do is, you know, reassure people that, hey, everything's okay down here. Uh, The town is great. You can go out and, and fish all day and come back and have happy hour and then go have a a great sit-down dinner at a restaurant, a nice hotel to stay in, vacation rental, um, whatever you're looking for there, and then go out and fish the next day and uh, be assured that the fishing is just fine. Uh, Most folks are are really concerned with the status of the town and, you know, is it going to be comfortable? Maybe the hotel you stayed at last time isn't available anymore but uh, there's still plenty of other options. And uh, believe me, the fish are there. The fish are happy. The fish are eating just like they always do. Uh, Spring's always a great time to fish down here. And uh, folks just need to come down and and, uh, check it out for themselves. And I think everybody's pleasantly surprised when they do come down to this area and see how far it's come and, uh, and maybe even how far we still have to go. But uh, I think folks are pleasantly surprised when they come down and see the area. Awesome. You want to just state your, like, contact information if people are interested? Sure, sure. So uh, I am Captain Jeff Johnson, and I am the owner of Flyfish Rockport. We are based here in Rockport, Texas, and myself and my captains fish the waters from Matagorda Bay down to Baffin Bay in the upper Laguna Madre. You can reach us at www.flyfishrockport.com. Our phone number is 361-420-3262. And you can email me anytime. It's jeff at flyfishrockport.com. Anything else you want to include on this? Um, I guess uh, just let everybody know that uh, we're okay down here. We'd love to have you. Uh, the city of Rockport or Port Aransas or wherever you may stay, would love to have you down on the southwest Texas coast. Uh, the fishing's great. Uh, come on down and see us. Cool, man. Awesome, man. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah, take it easy, Jeff. Maybe it's time we got back to the basics of love. Let's go to Lucan Park, Texas, Wailing and Willie and the boys. Jeff just gave a pretty good spiel of where you can find his operation, and you should go do that. Give me a sec to say some thank yous, but we're not quite done yet. Sean and Ben, thanks for taking the time to chat. 
Thanks to their label for letting us use this music. To all you folks out there who like the music you just heard, get online. Type in scary, S-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G. Jeff Johnson, thanks for the chat. If you, dear listener, want to help out the folks of Rockport, Texas in their recovery efforts, get down there and book a trip. Support the local economy and catch a redfish while you're at it. Okay, on to part three. We're going to end this episode by playing the song Yellowstone from S. Carey's new album. The band hired the folks at Tight Loops Fly to shoot a music video in Yellowstone National Park. If you want to check out that video, visit our website, drakemag.com. In the meantime, here's S. Carey's song Yellowstone. Thanks for listening. This has been The Drake Cast. Oh